The classic story always begins with once upon a time. Exploring the world for the greatest stories of all time. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Aaron O'Dowd Show. The Aaron O'Dowd Show. Our soul is the screen upon which we project our dreams. What's your story? Hello and welcome. On today's show of the Aaron O'Dowd Show, we have Declan Dowling. He is a person who I got introduced a few weeks ago from another friend and he runs a thing he's part of this group called the Noble Goldman about creating success in you as a person he worked in the bank for a number of years and uh, he went to um, the University of NYG hello welcome to the show Declan how are you doing today I'm doing great Aaron thanks for thanks for taking out some time to to have a bit of a chat and hopefully we can uh share a few experiences with your audience there and maybe inspire somebody to go out and live an awesome life. Are you originally from uh, the Midlands of Ireland or where are you um, from originally? Yeah, I was uh, I was born in Tullamore, County Offaly. My parents emigrated to the States when I was two. We lived in Chicago for two years and my mother loved it out there. My mother would be quite, quite an extrovert and uh, my dad is the, the kind of the, the quiet guy, but... He didn't think that um, Chicago was a place to bring up kids. So myself and my younger brother and came back to Ireland, back to Tullamore after two years. So lived for Chicago in two years and then back to Tullamore. So that's where I'm from originally. And and did you like? Did you go to second primary school, secondary school? Tell, give us a back background of your education before you went. To yeah, the yeah. University. Um, yeah, basically lived in Chapel Street in Tullamore, went to the, the, the convent there and progressed into the Christian Brothers in Tullamore. Um, yeah, all, all my, I suppose, uh, primary, secondary education in, in, in Tullamore, moved on from moved on from there. But I suppose in, in, in Tullamore, it was very much caught up in the whole, um, in the GA. My, my, my dad was very involved in the GA. Uh, so I would have had a, a very sort of a sporting, sporting type upbringing as such in, in, in multiple sports, you know. So um, I, can, I, can, I can give you some details on that. <laughs> I can backtrack on that a little bit. But yeah, basically spent my all my youth in Tullamore um, at 17 years of age. Well, did my leave and start at 16, turned 17 that summer and got a job as a trainee lab technician in in UCG at the time, NUIG as it's called now. So um, yeah, that was a, that was a big transition for me to go from a, a town in the Midlands to well a small city, I suppose, in Galway. Yeah, that was the start of my start of my real education. <laughs> <laughs> um, it must have been a huge adjustment to go from a small country town to a, a medium-sized city, you know. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story on that one. Uh, a cousin of mine picked me up. Um, at the railway station in Air Square, and at the time it was the Great Southern Hotel. So we come out of the, out of the railway station and walk down into Air Square, and I see all these cars with lights on the roof. Now this is quarter past nine on an October on an October evening, and uh, I turned to my cousin and I said, "Well, you know, the crime must be pretty high here in Galway." And he looks at me and he says, "Why?" I said, "Not the squad cars," and he says, "They're not squad cars." He said, "They're taxis," <laughs> because back in 1975. Uh, the only the only vehicle I ever saw with a light on the roof was you know, a squad car. Not not that I was ever in one or anything, but 
but it just went goes to show how naive I was back then. You know, I literally just gone seventeen uh, back in nineteen seventy five out of the, you know, I suppose well, what I thought was a big town in Offaly uh, up to a city in the in the west. So yeah, that was that's where I was at. <laughs> <laughs> and when you moved from. from- uh, into Galway were you playing GA at the time or were you in sport at the same time as well uh, well funnily enough I had stopped playing GA I had uh, my background I, I played a lot of underage football I, you know from my sins I, I had, a, I, had a, I played with the awfully under 14 team that with a lot of the guys that actually went on to win the All-Ireland there in the 82 afterwards um, so uh, you know, obviously that was that was a uh, that was a great experience. I, I played, you know, like as, as a 14 and 15 year old, I was, I was tall and uh, I would have been on the school teams, you know, so I was, I was playing well. I was playing, you know, playing, uh, you know, 14, 15, playing with guys who were, you know, 16, 17, 18. So that was, that was uh, a great experience, but quite intimidating as well because you're, you're still quite young. But I, I broke away from, from football when I started Started to play a lot of basketball and you know do the community games um, and table tennis and then I actually evolved into a game into, into snooker much to my father's disgust. Um, so I stopped playing GA from the age of sixteen. I played juvenile as well. I never played minor. Never played under twenty one. Um, so I went off on a different path and um, I I was like a jack of a jack of all trades and a master of none. Even though I did get to a high level. I won, a, I won a, a Leinster under 16 and under 21 table tennis tournament. Um, I, I got an awfully sports star award for snooker at 17 years of age, much, much to the chagrin of my dad because the guy who got it for football, my dad gave me a, a nudge in the ribs and he says to me, that should be you. <laughs> you know, get it, uh, receiving the football award. Uh, but it was, you know, it, it was a great learning curve for me because, I, um, you know, snooker, whilst whilst uh, I enjoyed it, enjoyed, um, you know, the the intensity of of uh, improving myself and pitting myself against other people. It wasn't a team sport, um, so despite being offered, um, it would, and, you know, back at the time of Steve Davis, a guy asked me at the time how much was I earning in UCG. And I was on you know, a little over 25 quid a week. And he said to me, pack your job in, he says, and I'll, I'll, I'll sponsor you. And, uh, you know, I was only what, 18, 19 at the time. So there was no way I was going to pack in a, a, you know, a permanent pension of a post back then. But um, it was it was probably, you know, Aaron, a funny little bit of a start of a, start of a pattern of maybe sabotaging myself. I mean, I'll cover this maybe a little bit later, where I kind of got to a high level of achievement um, and then I pulled away from it, and it was maybe a fear of success rather than a fear of failure, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that was a big learning curve for me. Um, and what happened then was my well, a little bit before that, I met the love of my life, the beautiful Anne, who's my wife, and um, she went. We were going out together for about a year, and then Anne went to London to train as a nurse, and. Uh, You've heard the old saying there, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. Well, that was the case. So between me popping over to, to London and I was training as a nurse in Richmond in Surrey and uh, her popping back over here, uh, she qualified as a nurse. And uh, a couple of years later, uh, we got married at 22. 
um, which was which was great. Uh, Anne wanted to get married a bit sooner, but I was at the time saying, "No, I'm not going to get married till I'm 27." Um, and uh, that's just what, <laughs> the way things turned out. So anyway, um, that was the start of something wonderful. So obviously, obviously, still down in, in Galway, and was working as a nurse down there. And not long after, we had our first child, Ashling. So uh, yeah, that, that that changed our lives around a little bit. But what happened, uh, what happened there was the fact that Anne's parents were still living in Tullamore, um, and my parents were still living in Tullamore. Uh, I started back playing a bit of football in college, um, you know, in interdepartmental tournaments. And there was a guy called Martin Newell who was the professor of math- maths at the time. And Martin was one of the the um, one of the stalwarts on the Galway three in a row team that won the All Irelands back in '66. And uh, in one particular game, um, and I was only just, you know, I was very unfit. Um, but Martin came over and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said to me, I was after scoring a goal, of course, so I was a great lad. But I wasn't able to run back to the halfway line <laughs> for the tip off. <laughs> and he taps me on the shoulder and he says, you know something, you should be ashamed of yourself. He says, a young fella like you. He says, with the, with the, with the talent you have, you're so unfit. And Martin was about 40, maybe early 40s at the time. You know, he was up and down the field like a greyhound. And it was just kind of one of those little defining moments for me. You know, you get these little kind of jabs. Yeah. So uh, so I started to take football a little bit more serious. I started playing a bit of soccer. And then the fact that we were going up and down home to Tullamore, I got back involved with the GA club. Started playing on the GA club. And, you know, the awfully football were, was going very well at the time, sort of early 80s. And, uh, you know, some of the guys I played with back as a young lad, you know, they were, they were getting to all of them, final, semi-finals with Kerry and, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And just the, I suppose the hunger came back in me and I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm good enough to play on that. <laughs> I started back trying to play GEH. I couldn't sort of the ball around. It was, you know, scouring off to the side of my foot. Um, so I just applied myself and I basically... Put the effort in, and before I knew it, I was, you know, back playing senior football with Tullamore, and then I was uh, selectors asked me to come and try out for the Offaly team, and got I got a bit of a run with it there, and um, it was actually the year that Matt Connor, who was probably one of the best players in the country, had his car accident, and uh, I was played even though back then I was six foot three and a bit, the the bit being very important because I have a brother who's six five and another brother who's six seven. But um, I was actually I was actually picked to play corner forward, which was kind of unusual. You wouldn't have a six foot three corner forward, but I was quite fast for a, for a big guy. And uh, needless to say, when I got when I got the, the chance to get on the off panel, I was super excited to get the opportunity to play alongside Matt Connor. And I was visualising myself, you know, in an all around final with Matt full forward and me corner forward and me causing havoc. But unfortunately, that didn't materialise because I had Matt had a, an accident that left him paralysed. So, uh, so yeah. So that was a, that was an interesting time. Uh, turned out in the end that I didn't uh, I didn't actually get to stay on the panel too long. Uh, manager said I was getting too old, and I had words with him. And I said, "Listen, could you not? I've just had the chops to say that I was not good enough." And um, that was fine. But great, great opportunity. Um, uh, loved the whole process there. Loved, loved the involvement with it. Um, transferred in from the club from Tullamore down to a club back in Galway 
and uh, a club that had it was interesting Salt Hill where I was living at the time um, were going quite well and I knew Tony Regan Tony Hirsch Regan who was the trainer of the Seekers and teams in Galway and I just approached Tony and said Tony listen I'm thinking of just transferring from Tullamore just a little bit sick and tired of all the travelling up and down and that kind of stuff and he says Jay Steckland I'd love to, have, love to have you but we're trying to encourage and bring the young lads through from underage they had a pretty good underage system so um I said, no, that's fine. But one of the, one of the guys in the in the uh, down at the gym there overheard the conversation, and he said, he says, Dowlin, he says, um, Saint Michael's have just uh, they've just won the the intermediate, and they're going up, um, they're going senior. He says, um, would you be interested in, in, in uh, signing up with those guys? I had no clue who Saint Michael's were, and I said, um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm doing a training session with them, and sure, they were delighted to welcome me to the fold. And our very first championship match was against Salt Hill that year. We beat them, <laughs> <laughs> so so that was a, that was a little bit of karma coming around. That was great. Yeah, and while you're playing with the GA and you're 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 um you're setting up a family there, were you doing the lab technician as well in the background? Yeah, well, that was that's what I was working at, you know. So my what happened there was, I suppose it was. It was I was working with preclinical medical students. So you had the you had the students that were coming in from the leaving certs, you know, the, the guys and the gals with their ten A's and the leaving cert and uh, you know, coming into into into, into pre med. And uh, so in the earlier years I would have been involved very much hands on in setting up a lot of the practical work for the you know, so they would have been studying osteology, you know, the bones. So we'd you know we'd, laying out the bones for them, all the different bones in the body. And, you know, we were quite involved with a lot of uh, the um, the preparation of the cadavers, as, as, as they were called, for, for dissection, where they learned, obviously, where every muscle and nerve and ligament was attached and all the anomalies that went on in that scenario. So, like, they were the earlier years. So, yeah, the job was, that was, it, it was very interesting. But one of the things that really struck me there was uh, in dealing with these kids that there were, you know, he, these were the people who were going to be potentially a doctor or that was going to be treating me or my family, you know, in, in, in latter years, um, if I was sick or whatever. And they really lacked a lot in self-esteem and the ability to be able to communicate properly. They, they wouldn't even, you know, a lot of them couldn't even look you straight in the face and have a conversation. Um, and I, I just, I just it, 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 that just took me down a path of, of really trying to understand how people communicate. Um, and as, as a part of my, my, my role going forward, I was doing my various exams and stuff. Um, my, the, the professor in the college was actually encouraged me to actually go and do medicine. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going down that road. I was, I was more of a, I was more kind of hands-on. So I got involved in a lot of neuroanatomy uh, research and projects and teaching projects. And um, our professor at the time, had, had, had he was way ahead of himself at the time. He had uh, a teaching process called TAT. So it was te- text, atlas, and tape. And the, so he was looking at, at teaching through three different modalities. So, he, you know, so the text being, you know, you read about the anatomical structures, etc. cetera. Um, and then he had uh, audio tapes made of descriptions of models. So he would, he would basically, 
like an audiobook precursor to the audiobooks. So he would speak speak about the, the various, let's say, for example, the anatomy of the, of the leg. So he would speak about the various uh, muscles and the muscle attachments and the various blood vessels, you know, traversing it and that kind of stuff. But then we had models. We actually made models of plasticine. If you think back to maybe when you were in play school with Play-Doh or Moline, as we used to call it. So we used to make models of all the uh, anatomical, various anatomical, all the anatomical structures, everything from heart to brain to embryos to you name it. Um, and he would write out the, you know, the, the, uh, the description of, of it all and then do the audio on it. So, so we had, you know, the old tape recorders, cassettes, headphones. So, so the students were, you know, reading the, you know, they were reading the description of it, they were listening to it, and they were, you know, kinesthetically able to, you know, take the models apart and touch them. So, so you're le- you were learning through three modalities. So that was, you know, that was very, uh, that was very interesting. Um, that further that, that evolved afterwards into computer-based training, where I was taking a lot of that material and basically putting it up on on, on the computer through a software program called Autoware. So again, it was. You probably didn't have the same tangibility of, of touch, but it was it was more interactive on the computer. Um, but it sparked an interest in in the whole neuroanatomy side of things because once I got a, a let's say a, an academic understanding of the workings of the brain, I got very intrigued around well how does the brain work, or more importantly how does the mind work, and um, yeah, that was further triggered but triggered by my introduction to a network marketing company. Um, I had a friend in, in in the library that was very helpful for me when I was you know looking for uh, journals and researching papers and stuff there. Uh, I got a phone call out of the blue one day from her, asking me. Um, I just recently bought a house, and she obviously knew it. You know, uh, Anne was working as a nurse in the in the in Merlin Park in Galway, and uh, of course Ashley was Ashley was four. Um, and an interesting. I just so let me just backtrack a small little bit because this is an important, an important lesson for myself and for others. We had we were living in a flat in White Strand uh, in, in Galway, and uh, we made a commitment myself and Anne that we would be in our own house before Ashley started school. And uh, and we hadn't a bob to rub together. You know, we were driving up and out to Tullamore on a regular on a regular basis. I was playing a bit of football. Um, but the power of actually setting a goal and, and visualizing it and just having that burning desire and really strong reason to, to have it, uh, it happened for us. So lots of little you know ducks lined up for, for that to happen. Um, and uh, as I said, we were, we were in our house. Of course, we were in the house with no furniture, uh, with no money, had to paint the floors. We couldn't afford carpet back then. <laughs> So taking some of the industrial paint that we use on the floors and the labs, I, uh, I uh, acquired some of that. So we had painted floors for the for the first couple of years, which which was fine. So um, yeah, back to my I suppose back to my role in in in, in uh, the Department of Anatomy and the research um, and my introduction to to uh, to network marketing. This lady introduced me to the concept of network marketing, and I hadn't a clue. She she invited me to a meeting up in the current Great Southern Hotel at the time, which unfortunately is 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 derelict now, out beside the the GMIT. 
And uh, there was about 300 people at this event. And there was some, some important guy over from the UK and some fellow from the States. It was a company called um, called NSA. And uh, they, it was a company that marketed water filters, um, air filters, and a product called Juice Plus, which was powdered fruit and veg. So obviously, you know, in, in, in the lab environment, all of, those, all of those products, you know, intrigued me. Um, but when I saw when I saw the, the the modus operandi of how the business operates, you know somebody drawing circles on the board, and uh, I just got intrigued by it because I was I, I was a, I was a big figures guy. I was very left brain orientated. So um, a, a slide popped up that night, and I'll never forget because it changed my life. I think forever. It was a slide by a, a guy called Zig Ziglar. And the slide said, if you help enough people to uh, to attain what they want in life, you'll get what you want. And that just resonated with me. So hence the whole concept of network marketing uh, just really grabbed my attention. So um, I wouldn't, I would never have been a reader. In, in school, I struggled uh, in, with French, English, Irish, any of the languages. You know, maths, physics, chemistry, you know, they, I didn't have to study for those. I just, I just blew through those. But um, the language is really, you know, uh, the likes of Shakespeare and poetry and stuff like that, I just just could not understand. <laughs> I just couldn't understand it, basically. Uh, it's, well, it's not that I couldn't understand it. It's just I didn't want to. I just wasn't in that headspace. Mm. But when I started in network marketing, one of the things that uh, I was encouraged to do was start reading reading a few books. Now, I never read books. I think the only book I ever read outside of school was Tom Brown and Tom Tom Sawyer, sorry, and Huckleberry Finn. That was it. Yeah, I just had no interest in reading. So, um, and this was a book on organic chemistry or, or physics or whatever. Um, so I was recommended a book uh, by Dale Carney, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And uh, that was my first real introduction to this, I suppose, to the world of personal development. Um, I got my hands on another book by Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. So this just got me intrigued. And um, just come back to the network marketing side of things, um, I started, you know, I sold some products and made a, made a couple of quid. Um, but in the concept of network marketing, I, I couldn't, you know, I was trying to build a team of people because that's the whole concept of network marketing. You're, 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 you're introducing people to the concept of the business and you're helping and supporting them. And you're, the idea is you build up a team and you get a, a, you know, a residual income off, off, off their efforts. Uh, and I found that very difficult. I found it difficult to build a team because I didn't have the skill sets. I was coming over with an academic background. I didn't have any sales skills. Um, so these were, you know, this was the competitor in me. Then I had to, you know, I had to knuckle down and figure out how to do this. Um, but I very quickly, you know, got to understand that that people buy people. So it wasn't about me learning slick skills, sales techniques, or, all, or any of that kind of carry on. There's a quote by Maya D'Angelo uh, where she says, "People don't care how much you know or who you know. They care. You know, people don't want to know how much you know who you know or what you know. They want to know how much you care." And that's ultimately it. It is really about you know making a connection with people and understanding what what it is that they want, what challenges or problems that they have in their lives, and if you can be of some value to help them, sort that out. Uh, that was a, that was a big lesson for me to learn. 
that um, that's where the that's where the connection is, um, and people, you know, like if you talk to anybody, most you know, there's a, there's a kind of a joke out there that you know most people's favorite radio station is WII FM. You know what's in it for me, <laughs> and, and people are listening. You know, in conversations, you know, if you're talking to somebody, you know, most people unfortunately are listening for you to either stop and take a breath so they can say something. Or they're listening to you with a view to, uh, you know, coming in with their with their spiel. So they're not really listening. You know, people aren't really listening as such. Um, they're they're hearing what you're saying, but they're not listening. So I slowly but surely started, you know, get a deeper understanding of of, of this. Um, and um, I then came across a guy called Leslie Feger. Um, Leslie, I would have to say, it was the if you ask, you know, there's, there's certain key moments in your life. One was obviously Martin Newell giving me a kick in the ass when it came to being so unfit and not using my sporting talents. Um, but Leslie Fieger is, uh, came into my life and he was a guy that, that certainly woke me up. I would have been a very, you know, obviously if you're working in, in, in a laboratory situation there and research situation, you're very left brain orientated. So you're rationalizing stuff and making sense of stuff. So I was I was the guy that if I couldn't pull it asunder, take it apart, dissect it, figure it out, um, I just I wasn't accepting it. And um, Leslie Figure is a he's a personal development trainer. He's an author. Um, he's a he's a guy that's just basically able to explain if you want to call it the. You know the higher level stuff when it comes to personal development. When you're you're asking the, the deeper questions around existence and your purpose in life, and you're getting into let's say um, exploring you know spirituality, looking at you know the at existence, looking at the you know quantum mechanics, the, looking at the the metaphysical. And I got hold of one of his courses called the Delphi Knowledge System, and it just blew my mind. Because it was the, this was the first time I came across a work that introduced me to spirituality. Now, bear in mind, I was born born in Tullamore, raised in Chapel Street. My uncle was the sacristan of the church, educated by the Christian brothers. You know, was was a mass server, so you know, raised in a very strong Catholic environment. So the word spiritual was meant was meant you know, or spiritualism was meant. It was. I, I kind of nearly recoiled from it because I was thinking, "What's you know, is this? Is this cult stuff? Is this uh, Ouija boards? Is it you know? Is it, is it occult?" <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I just never, I was never in that space. So Leslie's work opened me up to up to meditation and I suppose the deeper you know thinking around around uh, my own thoughts and introduced me to a concept of a concept called "be do have." Where most I was probably operating from the have do be. In other words, when I you know when I have the college degree or when I have the when I have the certificate or when I have the money, you know I will do such and such, and then I will be successful or I'll be happy. So it was the mindset of you know I have to have this before I can actually do something, you know, to be to be happy, successful, etc. Um, and the concept of be do have, so be the person. Who would who would do the, the the actions to have the results that you want to see show up in your life, and that's a that's a that's a change of mindset completely because we have so many 
limiting beliefs embedded in our in our neural pathways from our education, from our parents, from our peers. That um, you know, when you when you start to look at these concepts initially, there's paradigms uh, set up inside your in your mind that, that you need to break through and and, and release for you to actually uh, become all that you can become. So I went on a deep dive there on that to, to basically get an under, a real deep understanding of myself and try and get an understanding of what my purpose in life was. I was asking those kind of questions. Um, and uh, it just took me into a, into a whole new realm. So I quit my job then. So just mo- moving on. I mean, obviously, my, my work in, in neuroanatomy and, and with, with surgeons coming back, Sorry, doctors coming back to you know to brush up on their on their anatomy for surgeon for studying as surgeons, um, and my obviously my involvement in the network marketing industry, I just started to think more outside of the, the confines of academia, and when you get involved in in a direct sales business or a network marketing business, and you go out you know unskilled, you you, you get wiped completely. So you 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 have an academic sort of arrogance going out there, you know, with your education behind you, that, you know, you think that if you tell people about, you know, the features and benefits about a product or a service that, you know, that they they should buy from you. My God, did I get such a wake-up call when I came out into the world of reality. You know, people with no education, I want to say no education, I mean, no academic education, people who left school, you know, and through no fault of their own or whatever, uh, in their early teens, but went out there and uh, basically had the street smarts or developed the street smarts, you know, to, to build build big and successful businesses there. You get you just get totally, you know, this is this is where you get a proper education. So for me, you know, the, our, our education system has let so many so many of us of us down. They've educated us, you know, A, B, C, one, two, three, but nowhere in school was was I ever taught how to handle anger how to look at uh, motivation, look at ambition, um, you know, people's skill sets. You know, it was drilled into us, just get the points, you know, to go to university and get a good education and go and do your thing. So um, that, that just opened up a whole new realm for me then, as I say, when I came across Leslie's material there. And uh, I just got so passionate about wanting to share this uh, information with people. Um, and... The, when I say passionate about it, I started to understand the concept of that instead of being a creature of circumstances, I was just looking around and being aware of so many people who were just unhappy or struggling. And I said, instead of being a creature of your circumstances, why not be a creator of your circumstances? So I started to, um, what I did was I packed my job in in college. Uh, I went I went out to an event out in Hawaii, one of Leslie's events. And uh, I just said, you know, I'm looking at the guys I'm working with in, in the college uh, and I'm saying to myself, there's no way I want to be those guys in 20 years, in 20 years time. And um, I basically came back and I handed in my notice and they said to me, oh, Declan, you know, you'll be 25 years here in, I think it was the 14th or the, or the 19th of October. Uh, and I said to myself, look, if I, you should hang on for two more weeks and you'll get another two and a half percent on your pension. Oh. And, but I had my mind made up and I said, no, I'm gone. I said, if I, if I'm pulled back into the 19th of October, I'm going to get pulled back into a whole new semester. I get sucked back into the whole scenario there. I said, no, I'm gone. So 
no redundancy, no nothing. And I just said, I'm gone. In hindsight, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> because I was, uh, I used the term optimistically delusional that uh, I, could, I could go and build a business in the personal development world. I felt that uh, it was the time, you know, every, everybody wanted this or, or, or everybody needed this. Not, not everybody wanted it. So um, I basically went out and I started, I started to do workshops and little seminars and stuff. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't charging enough for it. I was paying for hotels. Uh, I wasn't charging people enough. Um, I ended up literally being the statue in the square where the pigeons were shitting all over me. Uh, excuse the terminology there, but uh, I had people who were telling me that, you know, they can, fantastic, you know, this, you know these workshops and these, these events you're doing are terrific. When are you doing the next one? And I got, I got frustrated because I was trying to teach people how to think for themselves and take responsibility for their own thinking and teach them some techniques. But they, were, they just kept coming back looking for me to, to basically shine the light for them. And uh, you've seen the the, uh, the analogy of you know pointing the finger, and uh, pointing the finger of blame with three fingers pointing back at you. So I just said to myself, I have to extricate myself out of this. I was digging a hole for myself financially. I wasn't making any money. I was actually getting myself deeper and deeper in debt. And uh, I, uh, I had to call a halt to it in the sense of I said I need to go. I need to go and learn. Uh, from other people who are successful in business because I, I obviously I wasn't able to run a business. So uh, my brother-in-law tipped me off about a job in, um, in AIB. They were looking for somebody to go into the garages uh, to stop the leakage of the reducing finance in there. So um, what I mean by that is if you go into any garage uh, these days and you see all the, the, big, the big fancy flashy cars that are in the showroom, they're generally stocked by uh, a finance institute. So it could be Bank of Ireland. At the time, said Toyota were being financed by Bank of Ireland. So uh, Tom Hogan Motors, for example, don't go where we are a Toyota dealership. So Bank of Ireland were the main financiers of all the showroom cars. Um, and he got a preferential loan for doing that. And as a result of the preferential loan, a certain amount of the cars, maybe 40 or 50% of any of the cars sold, uh, needed to be put back to Bank of Ireland for finance. You know, if, if somebody came in to buy the car, they would steer them, you know, the car deal would be done, then it's, it's steer them towards the business manager who would uh, look, at, look at arranging finance for them. So what was happening was, an AIB customer could be in the could be in buying a Toyota, and the uh, the finance guy inside would say, "Listen, you know, why why bother going to the, go, going going to your bank to sort your finance? We can sort it out for you here." And uh, you know, basically keep keep your keep your keep your uh, your credit with your with your with your bank intact there, in the sense of if you wanted a few quid to, to go on holidays or furniture for the house or whatever there, you know. Then use that. Like we can sort of finance off for you here. Come back in three hours and here's the keys. So the guys were invariably putting the finance through Bank of Ireland. So if you put your finance through Bank of Ireland, three months later, Bank of Ireland were calling you, offering you a credit card, offering you, offering you a mortgage, offering you life policy, whatever. So AIB were losing customers. They were being transitioned over. So they wanted to stop that leakage. 
So basically, uh, I was given a six-month contract to see could I stem the flow of AIB customers to, to other financial institutes. So you had other banks, permanent TSB, and other, you know, other banks doing do the stocking in the yardages. So uh, I was uh, not in a good space financially at the time as I was in debt. I was actually behind more in mortgage payments, um, which if AIB had known at the time, I probably would not have been employed. Um, but I was offered a six-month contract anyway, and uh, I went and I blew the lights out with respect to, I went around to 54 garages in the first month and had them all signed up to basically deal with me because I had, I had two checkbooks. I had a higher purchase checkbook and a leasing checkbook. And I said, listen, guys, all you got to do is if an AIB customer comes in here, don't turn them over to another financial provider. Leave them with me. Um, here's some paperwork. You sign them up. And I'll come back in later today or tomorrow and I'll give you a check for the car. So I brought on 54 garages uh, in the first month and AIB couldn't cope with the business because it was all being run through Sandyford. Um, and it had to be basically uh, stripped back. So I had to go back with egg in, my, egg in my face to say that I couldn't give the guys the service that I had promised them uh, because I didn't have the back-end support. And um, that was fine, but I, I said to back, I can support you anyway. So uh, that was great. And what happened was um, that was just in the asset finance side of things. Now, bear in mind, at this time, <coughs> excuse me, at this time, I had no banking qualifications. Um, I had no financial qualifications. Um, I had just, I had polished up these skill sets from my, from my network marketing business, from my learning how to deal with people. Um, and um, under-promising and over-delivering. So, unfortunately, I wasn't able to over-deliver you know, all these guys in, in the garages, but we managed to maintain five of the top carriages there, and I, I got serious business for AIB on that. And as a result of that, then, one of the, um, one of the asset finance reps in, in the branch network got sick, and they asked me what a cover for her. And I hadn't a clue. I knew nothing about branch banking. You know, I could go in and talk to the financial controllers and the, and the garages and the, and the business managers and stuff like that and, you know, grab business there. But here I was now being asked to come into the, into the banking the banking environment, the branch network. And uh, I hadn't a clue. So anyway, I said, I've got a six-month contract here that could or that, that, that may or may not evolve because... Uh, there probably wasn't enough business just coming out of five garages to warrant, uh, you know, a car on the way on the way backside, uh, mobile phone, laptop, all the various, you know, accoutrements that you need to do the job. So um, I said, sure. So before I knew it, I was covering AIB in Newcastle, AIB Gort, Chum uh, Road, three or four branches, all the asset finance items, things. So any, you know, plant and equipment and all that kind of stuff, and. Um, Landed a deal for six hundred thousand uh, for a company in the um, up in the Merview Industrial Estate there, uh, Beckman Instruments, and uh, I just called in, you know, called in, called in cold, a couple of business cards uh, at reception, asked them could I speak to the financial controller? Have you an appointment? No, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just turned out this guy had in, a, in this particular place, this guy had uh, a, a meeting cancelled. And uh, in, introduced him anyway. Gave him, I gave him a business card. I said, "If you look, if you have any financial 
any finance and leasing requirements going forward there, uh, we'd love to be able to give you a quote for it, blah, blah, blah. They were banking with Bank of Ireland, which was gas. And uh, he said, yeah, actually, we've, we're, 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 we're buying, um, we're buying uh, a couple of centrifuges. Oh, centrifuges, I, I, I know what they are. I used, to, I used to work as a lab technician. And, uh, of course, we start talking about uh, spectral photometry and all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. Put a long story short, 600000 for this uh, for this centrifuge. And I got the finance deal for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, next thing, um, before I know it, my boss calls me in. He tells me that the role that I'm currently in... Uh, not sure where it's going, but that his boss was down for uh, a PR review, performance review with, with my boss, and he wanted to speak to me. So this guy was the head of sales in finance and leasing. And uh, so I'm thinking to myself, mm, okay, you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. So we have a bit of a chat, and he says, um, you know, just congratulations, Declan, you're doing, you're doing very well there. And uh, you know, for a guy with no banking background, etc., etc., you're really bringing the, you're really bringing the business in. So yeah, thanks very much. So this was all going hunky dory anyway. And so he was asking me where I was from, and you know, quizzing me up a little bit. Tom uh, from Tullamore, my wife from Tullamore, and kids and all that. And he says, how are you, you know, how are you enjoying the role in the bank? And he says, yeah, I love it. Love getting the deal. He says, you know. So that was grand. Following day, I get a phone call from my boss, and he says. Um, one of our asset finance ladies is taking a year out down the Midlands. Uh, would you be, would you be interested in, in, in that role? And I said, well, what's happening with my role here? Knowing that my six-month contract was kind of coming up to an end. And he says, um, well, we're not really sure if that will be carried carried on. Uh, we don't know if there's enough business, you know, our, our sandy for that operation is not geared enough to be able to, to, to extend it. So... So um said so that's fine. Uh, so what's happening here in the role that I'm in covering the covering for the lady who's sick? Well when she comes back, obviously she's gonna slot back she's gonna slot back into a job. So um there's an option to you know, there's an option maybe down the Midlands if if you'd be open to take a look at that. And uh, I'm saying to myself, okay, potentially no job in a month's time or um Midlands where I'm from, where Anna's from. Uh, I have three kids at this stage. Kevin, my young lad, needs to, because he, he was precocious, needed to stay back a year. He started school early. Um, and I said, uh, yeah, let me let me have a chat with Anne and see if she's up for that. So I had a chat with Anne, and she said, well, sure, look, if, if they call you, if they call you for an interview, sure, why not go for it? So I rang my boss, and he says, uh, I said to him, yeah, look, I'd be interested in, uh, you know, Going for an interview for that. He said, uh, you had your interview two days ago. It's in jobs yours if you want it. <laughs> so, so that chat I had with the head of sales, that was that was it. He just wanted to see me face to face and suss me out. So um two or three months up and down to the up and down to drove up and down from uh, Galway to Atlone and uh, I was put in charge of four branches, Atlone, Longford, um, Borer and Ballinus Law. And uh, started started to develop the business there, and it, uh, we hit the Celtic Tiger then. And sure, happy days. You know, the business was was flourishing, and doing doing very well. And um, 
still was very much uh, using my personal development training and knowledge in the bank. My intention was to stay in the bank for about three years. Um, back then, AIB was obviously a blue chip company um, and a great place to work for. A um, lot, of, lot of good stuff going on. It was a playground for me to basically polish up my own personal development slash business development skills. And I was saying to myself, look, I'll give it three years. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll be like a sponge. I'll get a good education uh, as to how other business people operate and how uh, you know different business sectors. Uh, and then uh, my, my picture was I, I, I come out then as a sort of a business consultant, sort of life coach, business coach. That's that's kind of where my mindset was at the time. But as I say, the Celtic Tiger came in then and things were very good. And uh, basically, business was very good. A uh, lot of bonuses and commissions and all that kind of stuff. Maybe people might not, might not like to hear that because of the, the way the bank scenario went. But um, I was like, for me, it was it was just basically. I said to people, "Look, let me let me help you out with the financing of any aspect of your business there. Um, so whether it's on the asset finance side of things or any other, you know, I referred them back into who I felt was a good fit in the branch network to help them, you know, with business development, uh, that kind of stuff. So it was it was a win win for everybody at the time until the Celtic Tiger." Uh, got a heart attack and lay over. Um, and that was, you know, money was money was very freely available during the Kelty Tiger because, unfortunately, if AIB didn't give it out to somebody, they got it from one of the other banks. So it was it was a bit ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I suppose everybody was enjoying the good times when the times were good. But then when the, when the shit hit the fan, forgive the French, uh, a totally different, totally different dynamic um, developed. So um, I went into a role actually then of what it was called customer relationship management, which basically meant that I had to go out and deal with customers who were defaulting on their loans. Um, and that was a tough gig. Uh, not, not so overly necessary for, necessary for me because um, I was basically a bridge between people and the bank when it came to sort of the renegotiation of, of loans and that kind of stuff and, you know, really helping them, you know, first of all, not get, not get themselves, uh, well, you know, assisting them not get, you know, too emotionally tied up in it. Like, it was, like it was, it was money and it had to be paid back. But uh, unfortunately, so many people got, uh, as we know, like even suicidal over the amount of money that was, that was uh, outstanding there. So, I was just involved in a lot of restructuring there and just was only just too glad to be able to help people um, and really reach out to people uh, and put their minds at ease there because, you know, so many people just got so stressed out over that and got sick and other unfortunate incidents there. Um, so, obviously, as you know, look, it took a long time for that to kind of pan out. Uh, mean, meanwhile, I'm saying to myself, it's time for me to get out of the bank here because it was just so toxic. So many of the big guns had had uh, were either sidelined or left or were asked to leave, and unfortunately, a lot of the, the good staff, the ground staff, were left to carry the can. And um, you know, it was tough times, but uh, again, it was it just gave me such so many different experiences from dealing with people, you know, who were 
who were distraught and who were overwhelmed with financial difficulties to, uh, you know, people looking to uh, rise up out of the ashes of the of the of the the Celtic Tiger. And um, you know, I learned a lot. Learned a lot about people. Learned a lot about understanding people there and a lot about helping people. So um, fast forward, I um, took early retirement two years ago. Um, much to the chagrin of my boss, uh, I was it was gas. I was the, I was covering a lot of territory within the bank, uh, based still based out of Athlone, where I'm still living. Uh, but they had me covering Nace and Ashburn, and you know a lot, a lot of driving, a lot of a lot of uh, covering a lot of area. And I just said, I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting too old for this. Uh, even though I still think I'm only 27. I'm six, I turned 61 there in July. Okay. Um, I just said, look, it's it, it was the whole area was just toxic. Uh, too much negativity, a lot of stress, a lot of sickness going on all around me. And I said, uh, you know, friends my age, fellas I played football with and handball with and stuff, you know, led over cancer or, or, or dying and heart attacks and stuff. And I said, uh, I'm out of here. So took a just took an early retirement two years ago and best decision I ever made. So um, now what I'm doing is I'm stuck. I'm very much involved in the whole personal development area. I've uh, I reconnected with my buddy Leslie Feeger, who, as I say, transformed my life 20 years ago, and uh, doing a little bit of work with Leslie with respect to getting some of these big seminars, these multimedia, multidimensional seminars that, that give a very powerful uh, transcendent experience for people that really waken them up into the power of, of what they're capable of doing. Um, and uh, as a result of that, I got, you mentioned it there at the top of the call, Aaron, um, I'm involved with a platform called Noble Goldman, which is essentially a platform for helping people to um, participate in masterminds. So anyone who's starting up a business or any solopreneurs or entrepreneurs out there, we know that it's it's very difficult to start a business uh, or to do a business on your own, that you need help. You need the skill sets and experience of others. But um, a lot of people out there don't have the money to, you know, especially in an early startup scenario, to employ people or bring these people in. So this, this, um, this platform, of masterminding is absolutely brilliant. So we, what we do is we invite people onto the platform. It's, it's free to join. You can participate. We encourage people to come in and, and participate in the on, on, in, in a mastermind uh, and learn the skill sets uh, around the formation of a mastermind. So the, the idea behind it is come in, participate in a mastermind with a view to starting your own mastermind. So your own mastermind are the people that you admire out there that have the skill sets and experience that you'd like to have around your table, as in other words, your board of directors. So I'm involved in coaching and mentoring people do that and set those platforms up, and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, on the back end of it, we actually have an option for people to, partic to participate in um, uh, multiple income streams. And what I mean by that, there's a few opportunities that once you you know you build up your mastermind team, that people can look at generating additional income resource, income sources over and above what your main business is. So it can be uh, an, an involvement in, in a, an affiliate program, an offline program. We even have some network marketing programs that are people can, can you know, good ones that people can get involved in. 
um, and we teach people the different skill sets that are that are involved in that. And for me, Aaron, one of the real big things for me now is that if you look at the current, uh, I suppose, just where we, where we are now, the uh, the rapid rise in, in the use of technology. Uh, the day of the permanent pensionable post is long gone. You look at the millennials, you know, they'll, they'll jump, they'll hop and jump from from one job to another. Um, there's still an element of instant gratification out there, but you know, call me an old fogey. I'm still what I would term a belly to belly person. I, I like to meet people, uh, and I think uh, you know, in in this area, this area of you know, literally, you can do your business on a mobile phone now. Uh, you don't even need a laptop. You can do it on a mobile phone. Um, but in 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 this in this arena of of of, of high technology, there's a lot of disconnect with people. There's a lot of people out there craving interaction. They're connect. They're craving connection. I mean, human, real, genuine human connection. And when you bring people into a mastermind scenario, whether it's offline or online, it's 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 huge for people. And it gives people the you know that 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 that, that connection back, um, and an understanding that look you don't have to be an expert in all the skill sets that are out there. That um, you know you, you you associate with people who have the skill sets that, that you lack in, and you focus on your strengths. There's a great book out there called First Break All the Rules, written by a guy called Marcus Buckingham, and I can't remember the other guy. They did um, a Gallup survey years back, about ten or eleven years ago, more maybe. I read that book back then, and I was forever banging on to my boss in the bank to, uh, you know, to, to read this and, and understand the, the concepts in there. There's 12 core principles in it. I'd, I'd recommend everyone and anyone to read it. It's called First Break All the Rules. Uh, a little bit ironic that the bank have actually taken on board, AAP took on board a lot of the concepts in that book uh, a couple of years back uh, and integrated into how, how they operate now. But um, it's uh, again, you know, one of, the, one of the concepts in there is you, you, it's to help people to understand that the day the day is gone of really, you know, working working an hour for a for a wage here. We should not be caught up in the trap of you know the forty hour work week for the forty hour forty year pension and then trying to survive on forty percent of what you of what you earned. Uh, there's so much abundance out there that um, people can, you know, instead of going out there putting a fork in trying to scoop it up, you know, there's so many ways that people can earn a living out there. Uh, and I saw it in the bank that, you know, if you could help people, if you could put an extra 500 quid or a thousand into a household, not alone would you maybe save people uh, from losing their house, but you'd see, you'd see you have a lot of relationships and a lot of a lot of marriages because unfortunately, you know, money is one of the big the big quandaries in people's lives and, and one of the things that people argue and fight over most. So that's the space I'm in now, helping and, and, and coaching and mentoring people to look at improving themselves first, uh, becoming better communicators um, and learning how to communicate better with themselves first and then communicating better with, their, with, with people in their lives. Um, and then looking at ways of generating uh, additional income streams for themselves and not be dependent on, on one on a job or on one source of income from a business. If you look at the likes of Richard Branson out there, I don't know how many companies he has, 350 or 400 companies, uh, he's not hands-on in them all. But 
if if you can help people to take the blinkers off in this day and age uh, and look at, at generating a couple of sources of income for, them, for themselves, no matter where there's a dip in whatever sector, if you have a diverse range of income streams coming in there, you'll have more time freedom for yourself. You'll have more f- money freedom for yourselves to do the things that you want to do in life for you and your family. And that's the space I'm in, Aaron. I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing what you guys share, man. It's been a fabulous time. You're, you're more than welcome. As I say, look, if I can help anybody or anybody stuck out there, you know, it's a phone call away or a message on Facebook or LinkedIn or Skype or whatever, you know. So hopefully, hopefully it will inspire somebody, Aaron, to, to uh, realize that they're, so, they're capable of so much more in life. Thank you for listening to The Aaron O'Dowd Show. where the world's best stories are told. If you like, please post a review or subscribe to the show. To find out more, contact us at aaronodowd.com. That's A-R-O-N-O-D-O-W-D.com. We're always ready to share another magnificent tale from the world's best storytellers. You. So stay tuned and rock on. <laughs>